Welcome to Asset Protection Self-Settled Trust. This is Bob Keebler, and joining us today is Jonathan Blockmacher. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, Bob. Uh, Jonathan, obviously a very dynamic topic. Let's start with self-settled asset protection trusts. Uh, they've been around for 20 years. What's the big picture? How many states offer them? Uh, what are some of the differences between the states? There are about 20 states, and the number increases all the time since this began in the United States in 1997. But they have different provisions. Uh, some states, such as Alaska, Nevada, and a few others, offer very, very broad self-settled asset protection statutes. In other words, the laws under those states say that if you're not trying to defraud a creditor, you can go ahead and create a trust for your own benefit, provided in the usual case you're only a discretionary beneficiary and you're not entitled to anything, and your interest in the trust and the trust assets will not be subject to the claims of your creditors. Other states, such as Florida and Arizona, permit such protection only if you first created a so-called Q-tip marital deduction spouse for your for a, a trust for your spouse during your lifetime and you provide that when your spouse dies if you survive it will come back in a discretionary trust for you and the laws of those states say in that circumstances basically because you parted with a property by creating a trust for your spouse as if and when it comes back in trust for you it will be not subject to the claims of your creditors, even though the general rule in those states, and in fact before 1997 in all states in the United States, if you had created a trust for your own benefit, even if your interest was only discretionary, and even though you weren't trying to defraud anyone in doing that, the assets in the trust would be permanently subjected to the claims of your creditors, even claims that no one could have envisioned and didn't arise until long after the trust was created. Jonathan, what's the big picture? Why do people create these trusts? Why would one of your clients or one of my clients want to go down this road? There are primarily two reasons for that, Bob. One is that they want to protect their asset from the claims of their creditors. There are over 24 million new lawsuits every year in the United States. We live in the most litigious society in the world and uh, it can result in enormous damage. Even if you're not trying to do something wrong, you may be found culpable from a financial perspective. And so as a consequence, people want to put their money aside. You can look at it almost as in a rainy day, that, that if everything else in their life kind of disappears, there'll still be a way for them to get assets back to take care of themselves financially. That's one of the motivations. The principal reason that I wrote the first self-settled asset protection statute, which was in Alaska and became effective on April 1 in 1997, was because I had seen that taxpayers hesitated in transferring their property for estate planning reasons because they lost all interest in it. We all are kind of groomed during our lifetime to try to maintain as much wealth in our own names as possible. And when the estate planners come in and say, no, 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 to do good estate planning, you have to give it away to others, either outright or in trust, that runs counter to what most people want to do. As a consequence, I thought that if I could get people to put property in trust where the property could come back and benefit them, they might be more prone to do their estate planning. And that was my primary motivation to do it. So people could transfer assets, 
into a trust for their own benefit. But by making the transfer to the trust complete and by doing it in a jurisdiction where the assets were not subject to the claims of their creditors, then it would not be in their gross estate when they died. I picked that up in part because of Revenue Ruling 76-103. In that ruling, an individual had created a trust in a jurisdiction where his creditors could attach the assets. And because his creditors could attach the assets, the IRS ruled that the gift was incomplete because he could merely relegate his creditors to the assets of the trust anytime it, they wanted to. But the IRS said that if they moved the trust to another jurisdiction where the assets would not be subject to the claims of creditors, that the transfer would be complete for gift tax purposes. And as we know, normally when you make a transfer which is complete for gift tax purposes, unless you've obtained some special power or interest over it, it won't be in your estate when you die. Have settlers had much success with these trusts and I know there's a difference in a lot of the writing about if I'm a resident of Alaska or a resident of that and I create a trust in that state compared to if I'm coming from a state that does not have self-settled trust statutes so really a couple of different questions there Jonathan well Bob there are a couple of things as you indicate to think about one if you live in a state let's say New York or California where self-settled trusts again regardless of when created and regardless of motivation are permanently subjected to the claims of creditors and you create a trust for your own benefit in Alaska Nevada South Dakota Delaware or one of the myriad of states now that permit you to have a self-settled trust it may be that a lawsuit in that other state is going to result in not respecting uh, the self-settled trust provisions where you created it. So, for example, a Californian creates a self-settled trust in Nevada. The Californian later has a car accident. Maybe it's 10 years later. And the creditor comes to California and sues the creator of that trust, gets a judgment against him or her, and then seeks to have it enforced against the trust. The question will be, will California respect the laws of the state of Nevada? The development of the law has not been significant, but there are some adverse cases. But the adverse cases tell us what you should not do to try to protect yourself. About two years ago, there was a case out of the United States Bankruptcy Court in the state of Washington called In Ray Huber, H-U-B-E-R, Mr. Huber created a self-settled trust for himself and members of his family, including stepchildren. The trust continued to pay expenses for him, and he went into bankruptcy, I think, within a year, maybe even a shorter period of time from the time he created the trust. The court decided to apply Washington State's self-settled trust law, which provided no protection, at least not for this kind of trust, as opposed to the law of Alaska. And it looked at a number of factors, including that there was really more trustee power held by people who lived in the state of Washington, that all the assets except for one $10,000 bank account had remained in Washington, and all the beneficiaries were in the state of Washington. And as a consequence, they, the bankruptcy court said, we're going to apply Washington state law. The court made a specific finding that the transfer to the Alaska Trust was a fraudulent transfer. 
And it's interesting that the court didn't have to decide what state's law applies because Alaska law applies that if you've made a transfer to defraud creditors, you don't get the protection of the Alaska self-settled trusts. There are other cases where there's been, as a practical matter, greater protection. But in structuring such a trust, you've got to be very, very careful and try to make your trust look and smell and be as much Alaska, Nevada, South Dakota, wherever you want it to be, as opposed to having strong ties with the grantor's uh, own state. In addition, even if someone from such a state, say a Nevada and created a Nevada self-settled trust, if she's sued at a later time in a state like Texas, which really doesn't respect self-settled trust, there's a question as to whether or not if the forum is in Texas, whether Texas would apply Nevada law, even though the grantor lived there and even though the trust is governed by the laws of that state, or at least arguably so. So there's not assurance. Now, there's been somewhat better results when it comes to excluding assets from the gross estate. In private letter ruling 2009 49012, the IRS held that an individual who created an Alaska self-settled trust, and there were representations that it was not a fraudulent conveyance, the IRS ruled that the assets would not be includable in his estate when he later died. People in uh, Nevada and people in Delaware have not been able to get such favorable rulings. There's a long history to that as to why, but the only state that right now has a favorable ruling outstanding for self-settled trust created in that jurisdiction is the state of Alaska. Are there any things a practitioner who's advising clients about self-settled trust should worry about? And from a practitioner's perspective, do, do they need to be concerned? Bob, that's a great question, and the answer is yes. If you assist in aiding and abetting in what is viewed as as what is viewed as a, a fraudulent transfer, you may be held secondarily liable. And as a consequence, uh, it is unwise to assist a client with a self-settled trust um, with a self-settled trust. Um, unless you're absolutely positive that the client is not trying to defraud anyone. Now, keep in mind that if someone is trying to defraud, if someone is trying to defraud a creditor, uh, he or she is also not going to mind defrauding their accountant or their lawyer in that regard. In fact, Alaska, a few years after it passed its self-settled trust legislation, requires that in order to create an Alaska self-settled trust, the client must actually execute an affidavit of solvency listing any claims that are or might be brought against him of which he or she has knowledge. So if you get that affidavit from your client without any hesitation, there is a better chance that you're not going to be held liable. Now here's a big headline. About a year ago, a lawyer out in the Midwest was charged with unethical conduct because it was alleged that he assisted a client in transferring property to a self-settled trust. The matter went to that state Supreme Court, and they decided not to discipline him, which could have resulted in disbarment, because they found that he did not know and should not have known that what the client did was basically a fraudulent transfer. Um, so it's very, very scary for accountants and lawyers, for a new client who comes in and they immediately raise the question of a self-settled trust. You've got to find out why. In fact, when I was back practicing law, 
I would wait at least two months before I would see a client who called me and said, well, one of the things I'm interested in is a self-settled trust. And more often than not, the client would say, I can't wait that long. And I'd say, why? Well, because the jury's deliberating right now. One guy told me, because if I don't leave my wife by this weekend, my girlfriend is going to leave me. And those are very, very bad cases. In fact, a self-settled trust should only be used in conjunction with other planning. For example, interest in qualified plans as a general rule are completely protected from claims of creditors. In many states, life insurance cash value and even annuity contract cash value is completely protected. In some states like Florida and Texas, you have enormous homestead exemptions, and those should be considered as part of asset protection. But to go in and say, the only thing I'm going to do is to do a self-settled trust, that's what I want, it should raise hackles on the back of the neck of the advisor. That brings up another matter. Suppose the client wants to create a foreign self-settled trust. In the real world, that provides much more practical protection because the American courts can't get jurisdiction over the assets or the trustee in most cases. And that sounds, this really works. Yes, it does work. And there are cases where clients have actually fared fairly well on that. There's a case called In Ray Portnoy and In Ray Brooks. But there are later cases where the grantor was put in jail for contempt of court for not getting the assets back into the United States. And that, Bob, goes to the liability of a lawyer or an accountant or any advisor who insists. Because if the creditor cannot get at the assets in that foreign trust, even though it was a fraudulent transfer, that creditor may well come after the lawyer or accountant or other advisor who assisted in the creation of that foreign trust, which was done for purposes of fraudulently uh, making a fraudulent transfer, and that means the advisor may be personally liable. It's just not worth risking your license to practice law or accountancy or to have your get your malpractice carrier involved. And it may be that because it's an intentional type of thing and the client may say, no, no, my accountant, my lawyer, my banker knew all about it, that your malpractice carrier may not even provide you with a cost of defense, much less any judgment against you. So it's, again, a question of caution. Make sure you're confident that the client is not trying to do a fraudulent transfer. Get that solvency affidavit and maybe do a detailed, if you're an accountant, do a detailed analysis of it and make sure that you've got it in writing, even if the law of the state where they want to go does not require an affidavit of solvency. Jonathan, in a recent ABA conference, you spoke about foreign trusts and difficulties there. So I know people sometimes go overseas to create foreign asset protection trusts. What, what's the big negative about that compared to using a domestic trust? Well, well, Bob, as I just stated, in some ways there are positives and in some ways there are negatives. The positives are the American courts, the U.S. Bankruptcy Court or the court in Texas or New York or Florida, wherever, isn't going to be able to get its hands on those assets, at least in a direct way. Sometimes they use foreign trusts but continue to hold assets in the U.S., and the courts might eventually be able to get their hands on those assets. But they do work very, very well. 
The problem is, is that you have difficulty explaining why did you create a foreign asset protection trust instead of an American one. It's unlikely you can say, well, I was searching for better estate planning because there are adverse income tax effects of transferring assets in some cases to uh, foreign trusts. And in addition, as I mentioned, a lawyer, accountant, or other advisor who assists in transferring property to a foreign trust may be uh, secondarily liable, may be liable as an aider or better in perpetrating a fraudulent transfer. Finally, Jonathan, you said a few self-settled trusts have been successfully attacked. So is there a better way to design these? I think there is, Bob, and this gets to the definition of a self-settled trust. A self-settled trust is one where the grantor or settlor has a fixed right of property to the trust, and that is attachable. So, for example, if I create a trust and retain the right to the income with the remainder over to my kids, my entitlement to the income is attachable. The remainder for my kids probably is not because that part is not considered self-settled. But the self-settled trust rules also apply where you are merely a discretionary beneficiary of the trust. And that's the way most self-settled trusts have been done. The trust is created, and it says that the trustee, in the exercise of discretion, can distribute property back to the settlor. And there may be other beneficiaries as well. So I create a trust, and I say it can go to my spouse, my kids, my mother and father, certain charities. The fact that it can come back to me in the discretion of the trust, everything, the income and the principal, means all the income and all the principal is deemed self-settled, and under the law of most states means that it can be it can be taken by creditors, even if the claim arises long after the trust is created. What I think folks should consider doing is to create trusts that are not self-settled. So I would create a trust for my wife and my children and my grandkids and maybe my mom and dad, but I'm not a beneficiary. Some lawyers say, well, just allow the trustee to add you as a beneficiary. I don't think that extends it very far because it's up to the trustee whether the trustee can give it to you or add you and give it to you. I think courts would come out the same way. But what I think people should do is to create a trust, again, for their spouses, kids, and so on, and not make themselves beneficiary, actually prohibit the trustee from making any distribution to the grantor or settlor, but to arm someone, which could be one of the beneficiaries of the trust or maybe a good friend or a relative, who can exercise a non-fiduciary special power of appointment in favor of a class of individuals, which would include the settlor. For example, if I create a trust for my wife and my kids and my grandkids and my favorite charities, I might give my best friend or my closest relative, who's never going to be a beneficiary of the trust, a special power of appointment held in a non-fiduciary capacity, not a trustee, not a fiduciary. And I don't think, Bob, merely because someone can exercise a special power of appointment, which is a right to direct where the property go, that means it's a self-settled trust. So maybe down the line, I could go to my best friend or my closest relative, who's not a beneficiary of the trust, and say, would you consider please exercising your special power of of appointment back to me? And I think that mere possibility uh, really means that uh, it's not a self-settled trust. In fact, I would think that you would only want to tell that person that he or she has that special power of appointment, again, held in a non-fiduciary capacity, after the trust has been created. 
So it would be impossible for the IRS for purposes of estate tax inclusion or for a creditor to claim, oh, this was all wired at the time the trust was created. So that's one of the things, Bob, that I think people should consider doing in lieu of a standard self-settled asset protection trust. Well, thank you, Jonathan. This has been a fascinating conversation uh, and an issue that's just getting bigger and bigger. Um, I suspect someday we'll see another 10 or 15 states with asset protection trusts. On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, uh, thank you for joining us today. This has been Bob Keebler with Jonathan Blockmarker on Asset Protection Self-Settled Trusts.